covered from top to bottom with a calendar grid, fashioned from electrical tape, and studded with index cards held up with pushpins. The ragged, torn edges of the electrical tape and the sometimes illegible scrawl on the cards gave the board a makeshift feel, one that belied its strict mathematical precision. Designed by our head guest booker, Eugene Flarmbin, it was divided into rectangles, four rows, each denoting a week's worth of shows, with the current week perched at the top and the following weeks underneath. Five rectangles per row, marking Monday through Friday. Space for six index cards per rectangle, the proper number of segments to fill a single show. The index cards were color-coded. Blue cards for firm book guests. Pink cards for guests or topics that were tentative. Green cards for segments that had been pre-taped. And ominous blank spaces, where there were no segments planned. Our job was to fill the holes. We weren't particularly good at it. The pitch meetings took place on Mondays and Thursdays. At 2.30 in the afternoon on those days, the troops would all line up, reluctantly, for what usually amounted to a twice-weekly exercise in futility. A half-hour parade of failure. Bill shot down 95% of ideas, usually peppering his rejections with ridicule. Mockery was his standard response to a pitch he didn't like. How can you be stupid enough to present me with this dumb idea? but sometimes mockery simply wasn't enough for him to display the contempt he felt for an idea, and that's when he turned to anger, which could manifest itself explosively without warning, especially on days when his mood was already sour, which we sensed it was that day. So we were all on edge. Me especially. It was the spring of 2007. I'd been on the show just a few months, having previously worked for some of Fox's smaller, less prestigious programs. Now that I was in the big leagues, I was frustrated to find myself striking out more often than not the boss rejecting pitch after pitch, week after week. To be fair, the rejections that came my way in those early months were much gentler than those that came later in my career, or those that my more seasoned co-workers received. O'Reilly seemed to have an unofficial policy of going easy on the new hires, at least until they got their feet under them a little bit. Very sporting of him, actually, like a hunter refusing to shoot a baby deer. Though after some of the more brutal pitch meetings, a quick, merciful bullet between the antlers would have been a relief. It wasn't 100% failure on my part. I'd managed to sneak a few minor pitches past the goalkeeper, but nothing to write home about. There were mostly B or C stories, small items that got thrown into the hopper to be discussed by the panel at the end of a longer segment, maybe getting only a minute total of screen time. I still hadn't scored with a headlining pitch, something that would lead the show or, at the very least, get its own segment. That was the holy grail. Every producer in that semicircle was praying to Jesus, or Yahweh, or in my case, no one, that the big pitch would land in their lap, that they would not get mocked or yelled at, but praised, held up to the other producers as a golden child, an example to which the others should all aspire. My marquee story that day, the pitch I was going to lead with, was something I'd stumbled upon mere minutes before the meeting. An errant blog link had led me to an article in the Navy Times, a military newspaper. The piece pointed out a major error in a recent New York Times magazine story about women who experienced PTSD after getting deployed to war zones. It turned out that one of the women profiled in the Times piece had never been in combat, and had, in fact, never even set foot in Iraq. I printed out the article, then double-checked the Drudge Report, a conservative news-aggregating website that we all checked religiously, to see if it had picked up on the scoop yet. If Drudge had it, Chances are that one of my colleagues had also seen it and would beat me to it, mentioning it in the pitch meeting before it was my turn to go, and stealing my thunder. 
but there was no mention of it on Drudge, and it looked like no other blogs, aside from the obscure one I had been reading, had posted it yet. I was pretty confident that I was sitting on a winner, mostly because it involved the New York Times. Fox News had always had a bizarre institutional animosity towards the Times. The newspaper was routinely caricatured by O'Reilly, and the rest of the network is a liberal rag, a monolithic left-wing institution full of reporters and editors crawling all over themselves to destroy the Republican Party and promote a grab bag of progressive causes. Atheism, homosexuality, Hollywood depravity, big government, and so on. In a way, Fox's depiction of the Times was an exact mirror image of the left's depiction of Fox. But that irony was lost on O'Reilly, who took delight in skewering the Times at every available opportunity. With the exception of the admittedly frequent occasions that one of his books charted on their bestsellers list, in which case he was happy to tout their wisdom and authority. I was heading into the pitch.